Hello and welcome to the latest instalment in our Back to Fundamentals podcast series. Today we'll be discussing the outlook for LPG and NAPTA markets. My name is Kit Haynes and joining me to deliver the latest insights are Head of NGOs, Samantha Harkey, and our resident NAPTA expert, Kieran Tyler. So let's kick things off with Samantha and LPG. Uh, and perhaps we can start with the fundamentals because I think there's, there's a lot of sense of optimism in the market at the moment after the mess of uh, what happened in Q2. Um, but right. we've also got quite a lot of variables ahead of us, right? Um, Absolutely. Cracker capacity returning. And I mean, I mean, so as we go into Q3, do you share that kind of optimism? So we're about to put our monthly report out on 9th of July, which is Tuesday. And our outlook for Q3 is, if I can put it in two, three words, yes and no. July will be a messy affair. We're pretty sure of that. Uh, what's happened is, you know, uh, during the height of the lockdowns, the likes of China, India, Latin America, they went out and bought a lot of barrels, whether it be LPG or naphtha, and demand uh, was not as strong as they thought. They would be, for instance, India, the perfect example. Um, they offered, you know, these three cylinders for the populace because tremendous amount of LPGs is for home use, for cooking. And what a lot of the poorer populace decided to do was not use that money to buy LPG cylinders. Instead, they went out and bought, you know, food, um, household goods, and went back to firewood instead. So a lot of the state refiners were left with a, a fair amount of stout inventories. They've got to work those down. Same issue, more or less, in China. There was also an issue of port congestion. So we think, based on what we're seeing in the demand side and, you know, your typical consumption patterns, um, that these inventories will probably get worked down by the end of July, maybe early August. So that's where we'll see, you know, imports slow down. Um, and then, then August, September looks a lot more rosy in terms of feedstock demand and then Q4 for sure. And as you pointed out, we've got new crackers coming online. A lot of them are in China, a lot of them in Naphtha. Um, so, so yeah, the kindness will be in line that that's anything Kieran's neck of the woods has got a real problem <laughs> in terms of supply. So I'm going to let him turn it over to him to let him walk you through that. Yeah, thank you, Sam. So NAFTA has been really interesting over the last couple of months. Um, just a little bit of background. I know we're always forward looking, but uh, over the last sort of, um, well, during the COVID crisis, what happened is that NAFTA uh, demand really sunk as gasoline demand dropped off, the blending demand fell and it priced itself into the um, petrochemical cracking pool uh, heavily over propane um, to a point that we, had, we hadn't seen that in, in uh, over the last sort of year or so. And so all of the flexible operators, um, especially in Europe and parts of Asia, uh, where most of the flexibility is, they all switched to, to naphtha burning uh, in a very heavy way. And what's happened over the last month or so, especially in Europe, is that there's been a switch back to propane because uh, NAFTA has become extraordinarily tight because refinery runs are not recovering globally because jet demand is so poor. Um, and uh, refinery operators, they don't run their refineries to produce uh, NAFTA. Um, it's, it's almost a, a co-product in, in many regions. So, uh, and on top of that, around sort of circa 80% of the global NAFTA supply comes from the refining system. So uh, there's been a supply-driven rally uh, in global prices um, to the point that it's now pricing itself out of, uh, firstly, the gasoline blending pool, and secondly, now the petrochemical pool. So demand, uh, on the demand side of the fundamentals, um, it's looking really poor, but the supply is so tight 
especially in, in Europe and Asia, um, that values have remained elevated. And looking at Q3, that's going to be the same kind of story. Um, so, Kieran, we've actually had um, uh, pretty strong runs in, in somewhere like China. So are they still struggling with supply, uh, like NAFTA supply, mm -hmm. even though um, they, you know, were one of the first economies to actually uh, really come back out of, out of the COVID uh, problems? Yes, the, the, good question. They are because China is historically, and they still are, they're structurally short NAFTA. So they rely on massive waterborne imports, um, predominantly from the Middle East, but also uh, from sort of the Black Sea and Med Zone, and also swing barrels from the US from time to time. So, and much of Northeast Asia, particularly Korea, Japan, they rely heavily on these barrels. I mean, they try to squeeze, in terms of NAFTA yields globally, they've got some of the highest yields in Asia. It's because they've got the largest uh, petrochemical complex in the world now. Um, and they rely uh, on, on you know, massive LPG and NAFTA uh, imports. So yeah, even, even China, as you said, runs recovery, but they're still, they're still relying heavily on, on, on imports from elsewhere. Uh, and that's just elevated the, the prices. So everyone, I mean, the first place they look to is the Middle East. Um, and that has uh, become a bit tighter as um, crude production has fallen and refinery runs there have, have, uh, have come off. Uh, and there's been some large turnarounds there recently too. Um, and the next place, if you can't get it from the Middle East or perhaps India, which also has a surplus, you look to the next closest region, it's is the Mediterranean uh, and also the, the Black Sea. And it's been it's extraordinarily tight there um, so, just because refinery runs are so low. But I suppose I'm um, looking on the supply side again, and you know, you mentioned the Middle East a lot. We, we do have the production cuts. Um, obviously, they're focused on crude oil, but they clearly have an influence on NGLs as well. Um, OPEC Plus is going to be moving to phase two of their deal uh, in August. At least that's what it looks like at the moment. They might extend, but I mean, there's been no yeah. real talk about that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, surely we're going to get more supply uh, from the Middle East in August and also um, with some of the curtailed production in the US coming back. Uh, some of those shut-in wells are going to come back and add more supply there. So is, that, is it not going to get pretty busy on the supply side? So on the supply side, I would agree with you on the Middle East side. Um, we actually, if I can put in a shameless plug here, this month we've uh, broken out all the balances for Saudi Arabia NGL supply. So now you can look at ethane, propane, butane, you know, fuel condensate, natural gasoline, refinery LPG. It's not broken down by just purity product. It's also uh, broken down by where it comes from. Um, and you see that, you know, net-net, Middle East is actually up year on year in 2020 for, in terms of supplies. I mean, I think we're up about slightly, um, about 20 KBD or so year on year in 2020 for LPG. And of course, it gets higher a little bit next year uh, with the, the deep cuts in April, May, uh, April, sorry, May, June, then July. But the note that I will sound here is, yes, while LPG production is increasing, it's not increasing by leaps and bounds. It's not increased in, like, in the same way as we've seen in years past. So there is that effect, that weighed down effect of the, um, the, the deal. Like I said, you know, year on year 2020, Middle East is still only up about 20, 30 KBD year on year at most. This is even though you have, you know, this massive gas plant, the last train, Fadili in Saudi Arabia coming online. There's still going to be net short things, I guess, in, in Saudi Arabia. So we're going to be um, having kind of fewer fewer um, upstream barrels being chased by... Absolutely. And it's the same... 
Yeah, and it's the same story for the U.S. In fact, U.S., you're going to see year-on-year decline, not just in this year, but next year as well. You know, people are out of love with the shale patch. And while they have restored the production from the shut-in wells, you know, you've got no new capex. Private equity won't touch the shale patch with a 10-foot pole. You can't offset the base declines. Um, So even though you may get, you know, increases from, say, refinery runs or uh, fuel production elsewhere, you you know, your, your main engine of production, the U.S., is still in decline. So we're getting to a point, we'll see it in Q3. We've been warning about this for a long time. This theme of margin compression, downstream margin compression, where you, you yeah. have fewer upstream molecules chased by more downstream needs. And it's not something where you can say, oh, well, I'll just sell off my surplus, surplus upstream supplies. You don't have the surplus upstream supplies to sell off and lower your feedstock costs. That option is no longer on the table for you. So margin compression is here to stay and it gets really solidified this quarter, more so in next year, once you take on the added factor of heating demand. You know, we've in our balances right now, we're looking at a, we've thought about and we've baked in an average winter. If we get a cold one, there's tremendous price risk to the upside in Q4. But um, we do have a relatively light maintenance season ahead of us in Q3. So, I mean, do you think some of that could be extended? I mean, obviously price will do the work first to, to judge mm-hmm. that. But what, what's, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, the, a lot of the maintenance in the fall maintenance season or what's rather what's left of it has been reduced because um, not just the upstream guys cut their capex, it was midstream and downstream. So a lot of that maintenance has been pushed through to the spring of next year to as late as Q4 2022. I mean, that's how far it's been pushed. So we are, you know, like it or not, in going to have a lighter cracker maintenance turnaround season. Now, I don't doubt that should margins remain dire, even with lower operating rates or, you know, turnarounds as they are, that some units may opt to stay down. That is certainly the option. And that's one of the things that we have think will happen. You know, if you're, if you're going to run in your cracker, you're not having maintenance, you will probably opt to run at lower rates, maybe even lower than Q2 2020. That's completely not outside of the realm of possibility. Um, just because of this margin compression and you don't want to turn to waterborne barrels because those markets are in contangle. I mean, what's right. the option left to you? It's not a great one, but it is slower. It's a question of survival of the fittest right now. And, um, you know, you know, I'll let Kieran talk through the Northwest Europeans uh, situation because I know he loves to hate some of those crackers over there. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, Kieran, uh, dip- I mean, yeah, go I for think, it. Like Europe's having a real problem at the moment, isn't it? So, I mean, how, how's things going to play out there going forward? Yeah, I mean, so they've got some of the highest production costs in the world. They're net short on all the feedstocks they have to pay to bring the barrels in. And uh, some of the key sectors that they rely on, especially at sort of... Um, productive, traditional productive drug not such as uh, Germany, uh, the key industries that the petrochemical industry sort of backward integrated into, such as automotive, is in dire straits at the moment. So uh, we initially were thinking that some of the export-oriented crackers in the Mediterranean, such as the Salis's cracker in uh, in Sicily, uh, the Priolo cracker, which traditionally is the one which is kind of first to uh, sort of wave the white flag and surrender and close down a mothball for a while, and uh, we were initially thinking that was that's that's likely to go down. But actually, we've had this interesting dynamic where. Um, 
a lot of the part of the Mediterranean, a lot of the petrochemical industry around that is geared more towards packaging, um, which has had a bit of a resurgence during this COVID crisis because, you know, um, single-use plastics have come back into favor because, you know, there's uh, fewer germs if you're not reusing plastics and whatnot, et cetera, et cetera. So what's actually happened is there's been a bit of a switch where those who are integrated more into or relying more on the construction and automotive industries, which is typically um, in Germany and France uh, and the more Northwest European states, they are the ones that are now uh, struggling um, sometimes more so um, because especially Germany, the inland crackers, they have no flexibility. They have a design load, which is sort of 90, 95% NAFTA, and they have no way uh, or they haven't had the investment to, to, to switch to lighter feedstocks. And now they're, they're producing lots of heavy kind of the, the BTX chains and the, the butadine that goes into the rubber and the nylon train and the car parts. They have no way of lowering those kind of yields uh, in any significant manner. Um, and it's really crushing their, their margins and they're the ones which are struggling. Uh, and, you know, um, we recently saw that um, BSF, for example, um, their, their sort of debt level was, was downgraded. Um, we've had BP selling its aromatics unit to INEOS. Um, so we're, see, we're starting to see these, these sort of... Um, it's a bit of consolidation. Things. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I suppose, so it looks like exposure to heavy plastics at the moment is, is the worst that it, it can be. And, and you spoke a lot about Europe, but surely Japan's got this similar yeah. issue there. Because... Japan, yeah, we are adding Japan to that at-risk list right now because, I mean, if right. you look at, we've kind of listed the criterion of anything that's at risk. You have, you know, over-dependence on imports. You have heavy ties to refineries. You have heavy ties to automotive and, and, and all And refineries have been um, really decreasing Absolutely. In, in the of output. I mean, that's been a, a huge change over the last few years. So, I mean, that's yeah. really yeah. pushed them to the waterborne market a lot more, right? Absolutely. So what is interesting about Japan now is about 10 years ago, just to give you a bit of history, they were a very diversified kind of petrochemical producer. They did all sorts of different types of plastics. And then they were up against the likes of the Middle East and then, you know, the emerging low-cost U.S. production in terms of the light plastics. And they said to themselves, all right, we'll consolidate, we'll become specialties, and we will gear our output for our two main industries, which is automotives and electronics. Guess what? Those two are the ones that are suffering the most right now. Yeah. Um, and um, we think Japan now becomes really, really vulnerable because... I mean, these last couple of fiscal years, they've been seeing year-on-year declines. About nine of the 10 big Japanese petrochemical producers have seen year-on-year production declines over the last three years. And obviously, no one's talking about guidance for this year. No one dares to. There was one company in Japan that opted to be brave, which was Mitsui Chemicals. And they said they were going to, they were expecting another year-on-year decline in, in fiscal year 2020. The question we have is, how long can you last? Um, um, right. I, I, no, I think that's um, an excellent question, really, and um, one that maybe the 2021 balance might be able to answer. Yeah, um, right um, now, our, our 2021 balances are actually looking quite rosy. Uh, and a lot of that is those, these new plants, the recovering demand and things like that. But it's, it's very much centered around China. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much centered around India, Korea, not Europe, not Latin. North America is up there. Um, we do see recovery there. We are not entirely certain about Japan. I mean, Japan remains vulnerable to us. Um, I mean, I'll let Kieran talk for Northwest Europe, but uh, 
while the outlook in general globally looks better year on year, uh, it obviously is a recovery from the, the, the troughs of this year. Um, there are, there continue to be problematic areas and one of which is Japan and I know the other one, uh, and I'll let Kieran talk to it, is Europe. Yeah, I mean, looking at 2021, there's not, there's not much sort of structural change in the works in terms of new units coming online or that we know are going to, you know, definitely go offline. It's the same. It's the same issue they've had, which they've tried to adapt to in the world market of, um, you know, that they're net importers of all this feedstock. And if it becomes too expensive to import it in, their margins get very compressed, especially considering, I mean, Europe's been struggling for a while now in, in terms of economic growth on, on a macro level. Uh, so, um, yeah, from, a, from an LPG outlook, uh, it, it may look stronger because the, the longer trend is um, petrochemical units switching to lighter feedstocks and actually, you know, over the last decade, putting that investment in to be able to do that, to have those capabilities. Um, but if we're just looking at, at, at pet chems, I mean, uh, traditional petrochemicals, that is, I mean, the, 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 the trend isn't great because they cannot, they simply can't compete versus the likes of the US and the Middle East in particular. Um, which have much lower feedstock costs, much lower energy costs, um, and have really built out their capacity over the last few years. Um, and the trend is they kind of expect to do so. So Europe's been suffering from um, a lot of cheap imports coming into the region, especially from, from the US for, for polyethylene, certain different polymer grades as well. Uh, and we ex I think I expect that trend to, to continue. So what, how's about this for a bit of a curveball? Because on, on the crude side of things, uh, you know, we're looking at balances. Uh, also, we're looking at uh, politics in the US. And mm. some of that might release uh, some Iranian barrels in 2021. I mean, yeah. Yeah, on the crude side, the sour crude market is going to be so tight. Um, and yeah. we are expecting that there will be some more production coming out of there. So if you get more South Pars condensate uh, turning yes. up, uh, I mean, is, you know, that could support Europe a little bit. I mean, most of that will probably head over to Korea or something like that, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Korea has been starved for South... I mean, Korea's petrochemical units were kitted out for South Pass condensate, um, and they've spent billions of dollars trying to find you know, um, adequate alternatives, and they really lit on um, Wheatstone, which is Australian, and U.S. Eagleford. Um, there's some issues with condensate... Uh, issues with exports out of Australia. Um, Prelude's, Prelude's been down for maintenance since February, so you know their, their production is kind of stuttering here and there. Eagleford, um, we've got some logistical issues here. So there's tightness there. In that case, I would say for that specific product, I would agree with you. You know, If Iran does turn on the tap, South Korea would be more than happy to take it and then they'd switch back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the question is... I would think then we'd have to take a long, hard look at what's the sort of downstream demand outlooks um, and how would you, what, up, what upstream product would best be utilized to maximize the kind of co-products that would, you know, that has the, 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 the most rosiest outlooks. Um, and that's a good question. I mean, I don't know about your, you guys, but I see some of the structural behavioral changes we've, we've had to undertake with the onset of COVID, the masks, the plastic shields, the single-use plastic bags, that isn't going away anytime soon. I, how, mm. how long that lasts is a great question. As long as I, I think so long as people feel they are some, there's some measure of safety doing so, we'll get that sort of 
robust light plastics demand. But you know, the heavier stuff, like this construction, cars, really that's a big pain. chunk, absolutely. And that's a yeah. big chunk of plastic that demand. It's about what, combine just those two alone, automotive and construction, you're looking at about 40 to 45% of world, glo- world plastics demand in total. That's nothing you can, you can sniff at at all. You can't ignore that. Yeah, so not really a pretty picture for LPG and naphtha markets, um, but in the wider context of uh, crude and products markets is pretty much where we are right now, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, with that, I think it's time for us to make like a Japanese cracker and shut this thing down. Um, so <laughs> well said. Thank you so much to um, Samantha and Kieran for your insights today. Uh, and thank you for listening. Uh, and be sure not to miss the next episode of Back to Fundamentals. Have a great day.